Hello, and welcome to the Security Metrics Podcast. I'm coming at you here from the Security Slopes. My name is Jen Stone, and today I have an international man of mystery for my guest. <laughs> Super excited to introduce you to him. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, will you please tell me a little bit about, and look, I mean it, about the whole International Man of Mystery. I don't know <laughs> if other people have ever seen your office, but there's like stuff from all over the world that looks really interesting that I have no idea where it comes from. or or. But and I've also heard you have this wild background. So tell me what you did, uh, what you do for security metrics. Tell me a little bit about your background so we all know. Okay. All right. Well, what I do at Security Metrics, I'm uh, vice president over investigations, uh, computer forensic investigations. And what got me here is kind of a, an unusual road. It wasn't the typical path. Uh, I didn't study computer science. I didn't study digital forensics in, in college. I was actually a cop with the Oakland Police Department in California. Uh, I was a cop for 20 years. Uh, loved the job there. I was part of the tactical team. I was the commander of the hostage negotiations team. Um, all of those things uh, were a lot of fun. I loved it. I, I loved my former career. An injury cut the uh, the uh, a line of duty injury, cut my career short. Um, as my kids say, I got out almost in one piece. Um, but, uh, oh, so a couple of the assignments I had uh, while I was uh, with the Oakland Police Department did sort of lend into the career that I'm in now. Uh, at one point, I oversaw the, the uh, computer crimes uh, team, which uh, back in those days, that amounted to two guys with a pager. <laughs> and, uh, and whenever a drug dealer was arrested and he had a, a computer that one of their pagers would go off and they'd go and make a, a forensic image of it and, and come back and analyze it, that, that sort of thing. It didn't have the level of sophistication that, that computer forensics has today, but it, it was the leg that sort of got me into this career. Now, to put things into perspective, uh, shortly after coming to Security Metrics and starting in on, on computer forensics, I remember going home one day and, and I was kind of excited because uh, the case that I was examining this hacker was really creative. And so it wasn't sort of the cookie cutter thing that I, I was seeing, you know, day to day. And I went home and I, I guess I was a little animated as I was telling my wife and 13 year old daughter about, you know, how creative th this hacker was. My daughter put me in my place immediately. She rolled her eyes and said, dad, your old stories were so much better than your new ones. <laughs> 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 so, uh, for, yeah, from uh, a career in, in law enforcement to computer forensics here at Security Metrics, uh, it, it was a bit of a leap. My wife likes it a lot better. I don't get shot at very often anymore. Uh, <laughs> probably only when I upset my, you know, the folks on my team. And or with, with like Nerf that. guns at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We used to have hostile work environment day where you'd get attacked with Nerf guns and things like that. <laughs> but, uh the full, the full extent of the background, I, I've attended the, the um, FBI National Academy uh, where they invite police commanders from all over the world. And it's kind of a think tank. You spend three months back in Quantico, Virginia. And uh, so those were some of the interesting things in, in the former career. Since being here at Security Metrics, and I, I've been here for 13 years now, uh, our team has investigated seven or 800 uh, cases of, of data breaches anywhere from uh, municipalities, uh, private sector, public sector, you know, government entities, 
airports, universities, you name it, uh, from major corporations with uh, you know thousands of, of locations down to you know a ma and pa store with you know a single computer. Uh, we've we've kind of covered the the gamut. Wow! So I knew that your story was cool, but I didn't. I didn't know any of that before. So when they said, hey, did you want to interview Dave Ellis? I'm like, yes, because I knew there was something wild in your background. <laughs> well, well, yeah, to, to keep it interesting, we'd have to get out of the computer forensics, which takes us, you know, away from what we're doing today. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, okay. My daughter was probably right. The old stories are, are a little more interesting. So focused. As my, my boyfriend <laughs> is constantly saying to me, Jen, stay on target. It's... <laughs> Yeah. I struggle with that, but um, super happy that you're here today. How are you hand- handling the the current stressors? You got uh, you got some outlets there to relax a yeah, little bit. You know, and it's funny. The COVID nineteen uh, has separated our team. We're mostly working from home. I'm in my office today because I see fewer people here. I, I virtually have seen one person here in the building since I've, I've gotten here today. And there's 10 of us living in my house at home. All the kids <laughs> moved home after uh, the virus and oh, wow. you know, outbreak. So it's I, I'm more segregated here in my office than I am anywhere else. Nice. Um, but the kind of work that we do, it really hasn't slowed us down much. We do most of our work remotely anyway. Um, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I was on a on an airplane traveling to some business almost every week. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case anymore. Um, most of our work is online, e-commerce. And, uh, and, and we do most of that uh, remotely. Excellent. Excellent. So um, maybe th- this would be a good time to talk about, the topic is ransomware. So, okay. um, and we try and kind of shape this podcast so that people who are not really technical, who, who are not really, don't have a strong security background, we want to make this information kind of accessible to everybody. So if you sure. could tell um, people kind of what ransomware is from, maybe from a little more of a layman's perspective. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, ransomware. Um, okay. In computer forensics, you'll hear the term malware, which means malicious software or m- malicious executable. Uh, ransomware is on the evil scale near the top of, you know, uh, of the, the ladder. It, it, it's nasty stuff that you don't want to have any part of. What it is essentially is an attacker will get into your system and he will lock you out of your system or lock you out of your critical files by encrypting them. Mm. And he goes in and he encrypts them all. He has the key to decrypt them usually. (laughs) And, and then he comes back and says, Hey, guess what? I've locked you out of your system. If Mm. you want to get back in, you're going to have to pay a ransom. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where the, the term comes from. And it's, it's, it's an absolute extortion. Mm-hmm. Um, the companies, it, it, it hits everybody. Um, for a while, the hospitals and healthcare industry were kind of the number one targets. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved to where businesses of all sizes were being hit. Even down to, I have a friend that he got hit and his business has two computers. Mm. And, and so it's, it really spanned the, you know, the universe of, of who can fall victim to these things. Yeah. Uh, when it happens, what makes it so nasty though, is what he says is if you don't pay the, the ransom, I'm just going to throw away the key and, mm. you know, good luck to you then. Wow. And another current trend I'm seeing in who's getting hit with uh, ransomware are uh, municipalities. 
Absolutely, yeah. We we have done actually two uh, fairly good sized cities uh, that that got hit, and uh, the extent was was pretty brutal for them. Right, and especially right now with um, in the healthcare industry, they have enough stressors on them. But the the ransomware um, impact is is pretty high, and and the bad guys know this. The bad guys know that the the groups that have to have their information right now are key targets for ransomware yeah. because they can't that, afford to let it go. Absolutely, yeah. It, you know, when they look at it, if a hospital sits there and goes, "Okay, I need it. I can't access X-rays." I can't access their prescriptions. I can't access anything. Yeah, you're right. So the the immediacy of the need of the data that they have, those are the groups that you typically see paying the ransoms. Right. And, it, and, and, and that's that's another road that we could go down whenever you well, want. Well, I would love to hear. Actually, that is one of my, my, my questions that I have for you is, mm-hmm. what do you think about paying the ransom? Um, I... I, I'm a believer of not negotiating with terrorists. These are already people who, you know, have a, a malicious intent. They didn't, you know, come in as a good friend that, hey, I'm going to help you, you know, build a better system. And that's why I hacked you. This is just straight. They, they want your money. And so if you understand that they are evil in nature, evil in their intent, you've got to look ahead and say, okay, if I pay them, are they going to give me the key to decrypt my files. And I, I've seen, unfortunately, conflicting uh, data on this. It is somewhere between one third and two thirds of the, of the time, the key that they will provide you after you make payment will actually decrypt all of your files. Sometimes that key will only decrypt some of your files and they come back and say, oh, if you want everything else, you got to pay me again. Right. Um, you know, so they can l- linger on. Another problem is a lot of times they don't provide you a key at all mm-hmm. or the key that they provide you is bogus. It just does not work. So it, it's one of those thing about the honor among thieves. Right. You can't really trust them. There is one other element in here that's kind of funny. Um, I, I mentioned that, that a friend of mine had his uh, business system attacked, uh, locked up with ransomware. Once they realized that he was a very small you know, potatoes uh, organization, they settled on uh, 250 bucks. And so wow. he pays them, he pays the money and the guy comes back and goes, Oh dude, I'm not even the attacker who locked you up. I have no idea. I, I don't have your key. It was a man in the middle attack in the middle of oh. a ransomware attack. So got yeah. his 250 bucks, but got it was it, a completely different attacker. Well, and yeah. the other thing that I've heard of is um, organizations will pay the, the ransomware or pay the ransom and uh, and their files will be decrypted. But then all of the things, the vulnerabilities that were in place that allowed that malware to be inserted in the first place are still there. And so and not only are they still vulnerable, they also know that, hey, here's a company that will pay up. And so they yeah. will just go in and lock it up again and say, hey. <laughs> That, Round that two. happened to a municipality that we investigated. Two weeks later, they hit him again. And and actually, the second time they hit him, it was a, a variation on the first. And so they couldn't use any of the intel that, that they had gained from the initial investigation. Mm. Um, a third thing that happens uh, is that you pay and maybe they, you know, let, let's assume in this scenario that they do actually provide you a working key and it decrypts your files. 
but they put another payload, uh, a malicious payload in your system that might be a key logger, it might be any other type of thing. And now they come back later and they and and, and exercise a different type of attack against you. Uh, where they're now capturing your customer credit card information, they're downloading your PII, your um, you know personal information or protected or confidential information. Uh, understanding, and I, I should have included this in my first description, that a ransomware attack is not typically an attack to gain information from your systems. It simply, simply locks you out. Well, the type of thing I'm talking about now is we've seen them actually drop malicious payloads behind the ransomware that will then allow them to capture your confidential information. And then they come back later on not to exercise a, a ransom against you, but now they're just selling your data. They're going right. on, the, on the dark web. Yeah. Yeah. And selling the attack information. Because if you if you have vulnerabilities in your systems and you have um, uh, information that's valuable, there's a lot of ways that they can monetize that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so we don't like paying the ransom. Not a fan. Yeah. What <laughs> What do we like for a response? Um, well, for the response, the the first thing that I hope is that you have solid backups and. And when we say this, it, it's important not only to understand that you have backups, but have an understanding of what it takes to restore your systems from a backup. Because, uh, or those backups need to make sure that they are not live on your network. Right. Because, uh, yeah, there, we had a pharmacy not far from here that uh, was attacked a few months ago. And we got a hold of them and we said, yeah, yeah, do you have backups? And they said, sure. And I go up there. And they hand me the, this uh, hard drive that they had as their backup. Well, the hard drive was encrypted as well because it was, it was live online all the time. And so when their system you know, got uh, encrypted, it reaches out and it's, it's looking for USB connections and it's going to you know, encrypt those things as well. Sure. So, so offline backups are pretty critical. So, so that's something backups, that yeah. hopefully people have set up prior to getting hit by ransomware. Yeah, and, and it's important to practice what would it take to restore from our backups yeah we had a, we had a case uh, about a little less than two years ago and it was a 800 uh, retail locate not retail um, hospitality industries or excuse me the 800 food and beverage uh, locations sure and they got hit with ransomware they they knew that they weren't going to pay it they said hey yeah we have backups we're, we should be good to go they were tape backups Oh. They had never restored from tape backups. It took them three days. Sure, yeah. And and so for three days, this company couldn't process credit cards mm. and across 800 locations. They lost millions and millions in revenue. Right. So, the, the, um, so sometimes I go out and I do uh, an assessment of, a, uh, of an organization, a healthcare organization that has to meet mm -hmm. HIPAA. Uh, compliance guidelines. And, and one of the things that HIPAA says is that you need to have a backup and restore plan. And, and, and I always ask them that question, have you tested your backups? And I would say two thirds of the time I get what, well, what do you mean? We, we get these results that they have backed up. I'm like, no, but 
have you taken them and actually done a restore? And and the the kind of mystified looks on people's faces tells me yeah. that this is not the way a lot of people think. And it's it it's a it's a key step in making sure your backups are backups are worthless if you don't know that they're yeah. going to 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 restore properly. Right. So. Yeah. We see the same thing. Do you have backups? And they go, Yeah, they're on that server over there. Yeah. And okay, what's your next step? So and they go, um, Well. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and another thing for businesses to do, and, and this is before you get attacked, um, train your employees on spotting phishing emails. Um, now, you know, years past, you'd get that email that said, hey, you know, I'm the deposed Nigerian son of the Nigerian prince, and I've got, you know, $2 million in this escrow account, yada, yada. Sure. You know, and, and it didn't take too long to figure out that those were, you know, that those weren't very legitimate. Mm-hmm. The ones now are extremely sophisticated. And oftentimes, uh, an attacker will do a lot of reconnaissance into a business to the point to where he can craft his email to appear extremely legitimate and extremely relevant to you. Mm-hmm. It might it might address you, you know, by name. It might appear to come from a coworker, a peer, a a, a supervisor, the CEO, manager of HR. What you know, we've seen all of those. And so, to help people understand that. You know, when you get an email, don't click on links. Right. Even if you think you know who it's from, if there's an, a, a link in that, don't click on it. Go out and go into the, the site that you know is legitimate and, and get the information that way. Um, we've, we've had a lot of cases lately where, well, not a lot, but we had one brutal case lately where it was a finance company in, in San Francisco. And an employee got an email that appeared to be from the CEO, and it was, uh, you know, about moving funds, et cetera. Looked legitimate, clicked on it, and next thing you know, they are locked out. They're mm. done. So, yeah, I've um, got a. I have a friend in banking who told me that they have experienced a four hundred percent increase in phishing attacks since uh, COVID nineteen because it, anytime you have elevated sense of urgency or you know anxiousness, people make worse decisions. So yeah. this is a really good time for the people sending phishing emails to have a high degree of success. And so yep. just, just knowing that, that people are already anxious um, and, and teaching them to take that step backwards and either yep. go to the source rather than clicking on a link or pick up the phone, ask the person who sent the email, ask the person who you think sent the email, did you send right. this to me? Yeah. Um, and you can call them. You can hear their voice. Yeah. You know them. You know rather than than you know clicking on the link. Uh, sure. In the email. Right? And don't just reply to the email and say, "Hey, did you send this to me?" Because <laughs> the bad <laughs> yeah. guys are going to go, "Uh huh." Yeah. I <laughs> you know what's a really sneaky one right now is um, the one that tells you you have a voicemail and there's a partial transcription with the attachment of the voicemail because. Uh, you know, the response is, hey, I, I got a voicemail, but I can't tell what it is. I'm going to click on that attachment just to see if I need to respond to it. But clicking on an attachment is um, is another way to get that malware onto your system. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And on those, that's that's one of those where you, you're going to want to look at the the header information in the email. You're going to want, going to, want to validate you know, did this actually come from my service? Does it appear? Because a lot of times you, if you do a little bit of research, look, you know, at, at some of that information a little more closely, 
you end up seeing that you know it, it's coming from a .ru. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a, it's coming from Russia. It's coming from somewhere else. Uh, it definitely does not appear to be coming from you know your your phone provider. Sure. So, um, so we know some of the bad responses. Um, what are what's some of the best responses that you've seen to to ransomware? Some of the best responses. I guess you don't um, oh, get called oh, uh, in no. so much when it's a really good response, yeah. but well, you know, I, I can we can actually take that question and say, you know, in the cases where we are called in, um, what are some of the things that we have been able to do? Yeah. Uh, occasionally, we have been able to find a, a published key. Uh, that works for the, this particular person. So usually what we will do early on is after we've explored their ability to restore from um, backups and, and, you know, that one hasn't worked, uh, we begin the process of recovering data from deleted files because uh, those usually aren't encrypted and, and we can restore a lot of usable or valuable information just by, you know, restoring things that they've deleted in the past. So we will investigate early on to try to identify the type of ransomware that was used. And then we will go out to see if, if anything has been published on that. And there are uh, legitimate companies that, that store information that, that go out and, and glean as much as they can about these attacks and publish keys that have been known to be, uh, you know, usable and, Occasionally, we'll find it hackers that they use the same key every time. You know, they're not rep, they're not uh, you know creating anything new. And and if you imagine, you know, they're they're throwing these attacks out in in hundreds, if not thousands, of directions. So it's not a surprise that they sometimes you know reuse their their keys. Sure. So we we have had some success in in that. Um, and I'll other, bet that they have success in doing that because not everyone is going to, to either have the, the, in, the internal knowledge or call in someone who knows, hey, let's go look for a key somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that, that's been, uh, you know, beneficial on, on a few occasions. Um, other things that are helpful is, and, and this would Kind of go back to the prevention stage again, and most of most of, of what you can do related to ransomware is going to be, you know, in the beginning, you know, before it ever hits you. Mm -hmm. uh, content scanning uh, software for your email is is very important. If you can have a tool that that does content scanning, it should be able to highlight the fact that hey, the link in this email that you just got is malicious. Mm -hmm. It's scaring me, so don't open it. You know. You, you can get that kind of a, of a response from, you know, from uh, tools that you can have on your system that sure. will help you identify uh, malicious stuff. So uh, one of the things that, that has kind of been on my mind with people going and working from home uh, during this time and then going back to their, their networks. Oh, um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about what you think is going to happen when people take their machines and go back to the office. Yeah. See, a, a big problem that happens there is I'm going to guess a high percentage are not using VPNs or other security protocols when they're on their home networks. And so their computer is now exposed to all of the different sites that they might be visiting in the home environment. Um, and now they take this back to work 
and they log into the work network. And, and we've seen this not even, and not solely in ransomware cases, but in a number of data breach cases where somebody has used their computer at home and they're uh, visiting sites at two o'clock in the morning that their mom probably wouldn't approve of. <laughs> and, and junk gets, you know, uh, installed on their system that they're unaware of. Mm -hmm. And now they log in at, at work and they introduce that vulnerability at work or that, you know, that malware uh, at work. And we've, we've had a number of very high profile cases and that the problem all began at home. So the, the solution to that is, you know, use a VPN at home so that you, you're kind of inoculating or insulating your computer from, you know, all the different stuff that you can do on Facebook or on, you know, social media, sure. all the, those games that look so fun and are <laughs> simply designed to, to little by little capture information mm -hmm. about you. Yes. Because those little tidbits of information then can be formed into that phishing email mm -hmm. that goes out to make it look all the more legitimate. Okay. I have friends on Facebook and they do this thing, 10 things you didn't know about me. And they list the 10 things. And now I want you to tell me awesome. 10 things I didn't know about you. I'm like, oh, every piece of information you put up there is something mm -hmm. that could potentially be a security question answer. And in order to, or, you know, there's a lot of ways that, that social engineering can happen if you know enough information about a person. And it's hard because, you know, people are feeling isolated. They, they want to have that human interaction. And so they're turning to social media and they're, and they're trying to make these connections, but they're not, their friends are not the only people paying attention to that. And, and the hard thing for me is, is, you know, that balance of, you should not be putting your information on social media and, but also the understanding that people need that connection. Right. So yep. I just, I, I just want people just to stop with the list ones. If they could just stop answering lists, that would be fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's, you, you summed it up perfectly because those lists start talking about what's your favorite color? What was the name of your first pet? And I have seen those as, yeah you know, as uh, questions to restore passwords and, and things yes. along that line. And Facebook but. quizzes. Hang on. Don't <laughs> do Facebook quizzes. Thank you. Well, can <laughs> I throw one more in there? <laughs> yeah. So uh, you see a lot of these games yeah. uh, that, that are out there. And you, most of the games are, are going to be fine. You know, they, they were put out by legitimate companies. But there's a lot of ancillary things that sometimes go along with the game. Uh, other groups that get started up. And I, I saw one. There was a, a popular game that my kids were into. And so I start investigating it. And you get you, you can converse with other players. And, and a player comes on and says, hey, go over to this site. Because mm -hmm. if you do this, this, and that, they'll give you unlimited lives and unlimited coins or whatever it is. Sure. So I went over and I looked at the things and part of it was, Oh, all you have to do is subscribe to two of the following five things. Well, <laughs> I examined the five things and they all involved uh, installing back doors onto the, onto your system. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, don't trust, don't trust anything. Don't uh, Seriously. Um, okay. So what about how well does antivirus on a, uh, this you know, still thinking about this, bring your own device to work. And then as, as, but now it's like work devices coming back to work. It's kind of yeah. the same thing if they haven't been on VPN, if they haven't been fully protected. Um, how well does antivirus help with some of these things? Um, a, 
A good robust antivirus can be helpful with it. Uh, like I said, it might it, it might have incorporated into it a content scanning filter of some sort so that it would identify that links uh, in emails or, or whatnot might be uh, you know might be malicious and you need to avoid them. Uh, some of them may recognize you know some of these attacks. The important thing there is is you know use reputable. Uh, uh, AV uh, antivirus and keep it updated. Right. Um, because, you know, so many of these things change so frequently, the, you know, and most of the antivirus is signature based, meaning it's, it's, it's looking for something that somebody has previously told the, you know, the developers, Hey, this is bad. Mm-hmm. You want your product to identify, you know, this, whatever the, this is. And, uh, and, and so if you don't keep your antivirus, updated, you might miss, you know, the, the, the most current uh, attack uh, signatures. Okay, great. You know, the, the, the concept of updating, this is near and dear to my heart because patching, mm-hmm. system patching is something that, um, a lo- especially in the healthcare industry, when, when WannaCry came in and just devastated the healthcare industry, um, the, the problem was there Patches were not installed, and right. and there's a there's good reasons why in the healthcare industry they lag behind a little bit in some of the patching protocols, um, but everyone needs to be aware. We we get that little pop up on your screen that says updates are ready to be installed, and we go, oh crap, what's it going to break? How long is it going to take? Yeah. You know, do I have to really do this? And then so people tend to ignore it because there's kind of like remind me tomorrow, remind yeah, me remind tomorrow, me tomorrow. Remind me tomorrow. Yeah, okay. I'm busy now. You do that for the next three weeks. Yeah, don't talk to me about that right now, but. Yeah. But the, the, the problem with putting it off is if it's a security update, then there are likely, I'm not even going to say likely, if there is a security update out there, then there are already malicious actors who have created a way to exploit that vulnerability. Right. Right. So, yeah. so when we get these things that say you need to install so what you're a patch. Is the, the original developers are rarely the ones who recognize there's a vulnerability <laughs> and, and, and patch it themselves. It usually comes after there's been a problem. That's totally what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> this is the vulnerabilities tend to be fine, found by the people who did not build the software. And, yeah. and that's fine as long as, as we get those patches up there before there are exploits available before it's, it becomes widespread. But, but for sure, I mean, let's look at, uh, dang it, what's the name of that credit company that got hit? It, oh, Equifax? Equifax, thank you. Or Experian, one of those, yeah. Or was it, yeah, okay, now yeah, I don't remember. Sorry, yeah. one or the other, I got one of you wrong. But <laughs> their problem was they had uh, an SMB uh, patch that, that just didn't go in there, right? Apache Struts mm-hmm. uh, update didn't go in, but it was months old. It, yeah. it had been available for months. And and so when you see some of these attacks, part of me is like, oh, that's so bad that these malicious actors get out there and, and attack. The other part of me is like, guys, the patch was available. Install yeah. your patches, right? So for, for large organizations, they should have a patching program. But for individuals, especially, you know, going, working from home that may not be able to connect to the, the automatic patching um, systems, whatever, however you do it normally in an office, might not be available out there, don't put it off. Go ahead and, and, and install your, your updates. No, you know, and you bring up another really good point here, or at least you, you made me think of it. Uh, in addition to the, the patching and keeping those uh, you know, up to date, there should be somebody in your organization who has the responsibility to receive the, the messages 
that would come that an update is available or if you have uh, you know any type of of scanning uh, antivirus that is going to throw a, a, a warning out that says, hey, I, I like uh, file integrity monitoring. <laughs> if, if a critical file has been changed or there's an attempt to change a critical file, somebody should be receiving those notifications that has the responsibility to check on a daily basis and, and you know, do those little mini investigations to make sure that the system is still secure. Yes, we did an investigation uh, that was was really sad, where 900 stores were breached, and as we investigated back in time, we saw that that their software, their AV software, was throwing warnings about mm. what was going on six months before they got hit, and six months before actually the data was the, the attacker was sufficiently uh, in the system to be able to. To, to pull data out. Right. And the problem, and it was throwing these warnings. And the problem was, is no one was watching. Mm. No one was looking for them. So they could have prevented the entire breach. And I, and I see that very commonly out. One of the things that as an assessor I do is I'll say, hey, if you have a, a SIM, the uh, uh, security information, oh, shoot. I didn't have enough caffeine before this podcast, did I? <laughs> but it's it's your vent monitoring, right? So you, you look at your dashboard, um, and and I'll see a lot of times they'll tell you when patches have been installed, which systems have not um, um, installed them yet. And I'll ask whoever's showing me the dashboard, hey, how come you have this 10% is, is red? And they'll say, oh, well, um, those computers need to be restarted before they can uh, accept the, the new install well okay so how is that going to happen well i don't know they'll eventually they'll just restart the computer but it's not an act of saying hey this hasn't been done and it needs to be done so like you say there's there are actions that have to be taken so knowing that that there are alerts coming and then having the responsibility for acting on those alerts uh, it will save companies a lot of heartbreak Absolutely. Hey, you know, there's one aspect of uh, ransomware that, that I left out on the, you know, so what to do when it's actually hit you. So, right. you know, despite all of your best efforts, you've been locked out of your system. Um, oftentimes the, the attack will occur um, at, at a single desktop or a single, you know, laptop or a single device or just a couple. And it takes a little, little bit of time to migrate outward. And, and eventually encrypt your entire network. If that is the case, it's, a, it's imperative that you un unplug that one immediately from the network. You disable its Wi-Fi mm -hmm. so that you can isolate it from, from the rest of your network. Or if it's two or three uh, you know, computers, you can reduce the, the amount of damage before it spreads. Uh, we had a situation, it was very sad, uh, a hospital in the Midwest that, um, as they described to us what happened, if they had just unplugged one computer oh. and and you know disabled its Wi-Fi, they had they actually had almost a full day before it migrated to other computers in the system, and and by the end of it, it had migrated to about eighty percent of the computers in their environment. Oh, that's devastating. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it brings up a good point. There's um, sometimes I'll. I'll recommend that organizations segment their network. And, and just for people who are unfamiliar with it, that's a way of saying, hey, 
this group of computers can talk to this group of computers and this group of computers cannot talk to them. Like just sectioning it out so that if there's no need for the accounting group to be able to talk to uh, radiology, then that should be mm-hmm. segmented, right? So that's just right. a just a word for saying what is allowed to talk to what. So um, one of the things that, that segmentation can really help with is it, it sort of isolates computers um, for you Um, And then you can, you have um, endpoints that you can just really block off and, and solidify that not talk, not talking to anything at that point. But if you have a, if you have a network where everything can talk to everything, then knowing where the malware has gone is going to be pretty difficult and it'll spread pretty, pretty quickly. It it will spread fast into those environments too. And, and then recognize also anything you have connected to the affected devices. If you have USBs, dongles, you know, external hard drives, all of those are going to be potentially infected. So you wouldn't want to take a, a USB thumb drive out of one computer and then go, hey, you know, let me see if I can restore this on this other computer. Well, right. you're just likely to, to infect spread that other the, one as spread well. Spread the infection. All right. Yeah. Well, that's, this has been a lot of good information about ransomware. Before we wrap it up, um, is there anything else that, that's kind of been, that we didn't cover yet that that uh, you might want to throw out there about ransomware? So what I, I think I want to close with is the importance of ensuring that your security in your environment, and, and this example that I'm going to give kind of is a, a larger um, corporation would, would maybe experience this. Don't take your security for granted, um, and don't, don't assume that your compliance with industry standards is going to inoculate you from everything else. As an auditor, I think you'll appreciate this story. There mm-hmm. was a, a business where we sent an auditor, our company sent an auditor out to it, and the company had recently employed uh, end-to-end encryption. And so they said, well, or point-to-point encryption. So okay. they said, well, since we have point-to-point encryption, everything else outside of the, the card data environment is out of scope for the audit. And the auditor, having been familiar with this company, having done audits in in the past couple of years, said, you know, I don't think you want to disregard the security, you know, and and while I'm out here, I, you know, let me take a look at a couple of other things in your corporate environment. And they said, nope, CDEs, all you get to look at. And they, they locked the auditor basically down to, that was the only area where they wanted to hear the auditor. That's not a good sign. (laughs) It wasn't a good sign. Well, and it was only four months after that audit that they called us and they said, we've been locked out with ransomware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened is their CDE was fine. The card data, even with the ransomware attack, was never at risk. The point-to-point encryption was doing its job and protecting the actual transaction data. But the company couldn't access anything. They were locked out of several hundred locations and they lost millions, tens of millions of mm. dollars of revenue by the, in, in the amount of time that it took them to finally be able to restore and, and get uh, you know, back to normal operations. That's rough. So, yeah. So that, that's all about, you know, PC, PCI compliance or HIPAA compliance. Those are all essential and important, but understand that they're also, they're, they should be considered kind of building blocks. Yes. No, but nobody knows your environment <clears throat> better than you do. And a, a data security standard can't always take into account all the nuances that your environment might have. So you, you need to look at 
data security is kind of like a living, breathing organism that you need to feed and keep healthy. I am so glad that you mentioned that because um, compliance versus security is yeah. is one of my favorite topics. And uh, as an auditor, I there are things that have to be in place for me to be able to sign the paper and say, yes, you have met the standard of compliance against these certain requirements. But as a security professional, I always have those extra conversations about um, what is the, what does this mean in, in terms of uh, broader security? And um, so even though I can't require certain things in order to sign that paper, um, we have some pretty hefty conversations about security when, when things seem like they're, they're going sideways in, in terms of that. People need to remember compliance, the intent of uh, a security compliance standard is to make a baseline for security for a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. So just because you're protecting your credit card data, and they probably did, they, there was probably no fraud related to that that yeah. uh, that yeah, problem. Yeah, the card data was never. Card aware. data was fine, but yeah. but if you if you don't understand that that uh, that's all you're protecting with that standard, yeah. then it leaves you very blind blind to the broader picture. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, it's it's been fun. Hey, thank you so much for coming and talking and telling me your stories. That was, I loved it. And, and uh, hopefully we can talk again in the future. And, and also, I, I think maybe a podcast in the future would be worth talking about compliance versus security. So you gave me a good idea there. So. Okay, anytime. All anytime. right. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you join us again back here at Security Slopes. Thanks for listening. To learn more about all things security and compliance, head to securitymetrics.com. If you prefer to watch the podcast, go to securitymetrics.com slash podcast or search for us on YouTube. See you on the slopes.